back uh, in oh, about 2008 or 2007, I believe it was, when my wife was doing her graduate program here at Loma Linda University for social work. I was a grade behind her in college, and I was just finishing up uh, graduating at PUC, and we were doing the long-distance relationship there for about a year, and we were now engaged to be married, and so, of course, I wanted to be down here close to my bride-to-be, and so I took a year off between my undergrad and grad program just to be here in Loma Linda area, Southern California, and uh, be close to Beamy for that year. And uh, of course, I needed to look for a job to help pay for the bills. And as I have mentioned here a little bit before, the very first job I could get, uh, not many people seem to be hiring, but the job I could land was at Olive Garden over there off Hospitality Lane. And as I've also mentioned before, I was a terrible uh, server. I did not do a good job, uh, and I didn't like the job. And so every week that I was there, uh, I was constantly applying for something else, anything else, countless kinds of jobs, you know, um, everywhere. And uh, just nobody was giving me a chance. And finally, three months into it, I thought I was doomed to work at Olive Garden that entire year. You know, I really needed to, to save some money for the upcoming wedding. And, um, but finally, I got this call from the Loma Linda University Records Office. I didn't even really remember applying for that job. Uh, and I think I even applied for it before I applied for, to Olive Garden. Um, but they called me and said, we'd love to come interview you for a data entry position. And I said, that sounds fantastic. I will come right away. And so I came and I, have ne I had never done anything like that before, uh, but it had you know, paid decently and good consistent hours. And so I had applied for it a while back, came in, and did the interview, and then the supervisor said, we'd love to offer you the job. When can you start? And I was like, this is fantastic. And as soon as that was all done, I, I couldn't resist. I said, you know, I just wanted to know, why did you call me? I've been applying for so many jobs. There's, I've never done data entry before. There's nothing on my resume that would have said, this is the person you should call to, to offer this job to. And she said, well, to be honest, I did have lots and lots of candidates. And we did interview a few, but uh, we started to pull some of those uh, applicants that uh, had applied a while back. And out of that big stack that I had, I was going through the names and I, I saw yours, your last name, Thurber. Turns out she used to go to La Sierra University and study music there and took several classes from my uncle Don Thurber who taught there. And she said, I reached out to him and wanted to see if you were related. Sure enough, you were. And I thought he comes from a good family probably should reach out to him and see if he'd like to work here. Again, I had no business working that job, <laughs> no experience whatsoever, and I'm not sure I did that very well either. Hopefully I didn't root for any of you that were applying to medical school, you know, that I got your credits wrong as I inputted that into the, into the computer program. But I learned, as I'm sure many of you have learned in life, that it really is true. It's all in who you know. And I think that also rings true when it comes to being ready for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At least that's what it seems like Jesus is trying to teach us as we come to the second parable in our Living Ready series. These four parables that Jesus tells at the end of Matthew 24 and into Matthew 25 
where he says, I want you to keep watch. I want you to be ready. And tells these stories, I think, to, to show us this is what I mean by that. And so we're on the second one, and let's read it together. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they, became, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready to meet in that were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut later the others also came lord lord they said open the door for us but he replied truly i tell you i don't know you therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour now i kind of have mixed feelings when i read this parable on the one hand, I really empathize with the wise maidens in the story. And I, I, I can understand where they're coming from. I empathize with them because of an ongoing dilemma that I've had in my wonderful marriage relationship to my wonderful, awesome wife, uh, Beamy. It's a dilemma that uh, started early on in our relationship, and it usually happened when we would go out to eat. And I would order from the menu what I wanted to eat and she would order from the menu what she wanted to eat but then when the food came it turns out that what I ordered to eat was also what she would like to eat maybe some of you can relate right and I can remember early on even before we were married and we were just dating and I was in my early 20s and I could really eat I can still do that, which is not good anymore, but back then, oh, I could really eat, and, and I would budget very carefully. I'd look, analyze that menu. This is what's going to fill me up, right? And so I would order that, and I would want to eat every bite <laughs> of what I ordered, but that's not the way my wonderful, loving wife would see it. So when my food would come, she would ask if she could try some, and even as a poor college student, I'd say, you know... I would be happy to order you a whole nother dish of exactly what I got, and you can have as much of that as you want, because I'd really like to eat all of this. Well, as you can imagine, that, that created a little dilemma, because for Bimi, she wanted to just share the food. That was what brought her joy. And so because I loved being with Bimi, I loved marrying her and staying married to her over the years... We have, uh, I have learned to share. And now when we go out to eat, uh, it's usually, hey, babe, this is her talking to me. What are you going to order? And that's not just out of curiosity for what I might order. It's, I, I want to know if I'm going to like that. And it'll, what you get depends on what I'm going to order, right? So on the one hand, I can, I can understand. I empathize with the, the 
wise maidens in the story, right? Hey, we, we got brought the oil for us. You know, sorry, can't give you any. But then I also feel like the, the wise maidens should be more like my wise wife, you know? Aren't we supposed to share? Isn't that the Christian thing to do, to give to others? And I, and I got to admit, just to set the story straight, I have actually come to enjoy sharing our food together. And it's a pretty good deal because she takes like one or two bites of mine and then she gives me like half of hers. So I always come out way ahead. And it has become more of an enjoyable experience to share our food together. There you go. Joy, Joy has given me a witness here. So there's part of me that reads this story and is like, shouldn't the, the wise versions have a, have a sharing attitude, you know? Aren't we supposed to carry each other's burdens? Now, many people say, well, if they shared, in fact, the story itself says, if they shared their oil, then there wouldn't be enough left for them. But this is a parable. This is a made-up story. Jesus could have altered those details. Lord, why didn't you tell a story where they brought enough for themselves and for the delay, but also extra beyond that in case somebody else needed some? Why not tell a story like that, Jesus? That sounds more like, you know, what we're supposed to kind of be doing, sharing with others. But as we read further in the story, it becomes clear why the oil cannot be shared. Because when the foolish maidens try to enter the the party, the bridegroom says to them, what? I don't know you. What a strange thing to say as we've read through the details so far. I don't hear anybody trying to get to know him before that. We're just talking about oil for the lamps. Now, the parable itself does not tell us the specific meaning of the oil. However, if we look elsewhere in the scriptures, we discover that there are often times that oil is symbolic for the Holy Spirit, for God's presence. And if we assign that meaning to the oil in this parable, then we can understand why the bridegroom would say such a thing. One group was seeking to have the oil of the Spirit abide and overflow in their lives, while the other was not. So even if the wise maidens brought all the oil and all the land to share, it wouldn't have made a difference because what Jesus is talking about here is a relationship, and you can't loan or borrow a relationship. You know, I have a a wonderful family. I I was so blessed to grow up in a home, a Christian home, where my, my mom and my dad and my older sister loved Jesus and modeled that for me. I was so grateful to grow up here as a young kid in Calamasa Church and then at PUC Church where I had wonderful friends surrounding me, showing me what, what a precious thing it is to have a relationship with Jesus. But as I got older, I learned, you know, my relationship with God isn't my dad's or my mom's or my friend's. It's something I have to have for myself. No one can know God for you has to be our own personal choice. And herein lies the next way I think Jesus tells us to keep watch. Last week it was, I want you to just do what I've left for you to do. This week he says, I want you to keep watch. I want you to live ready simply by spending time getting to know me. Have a personal encounter and relationship with my presence. Family, I got to tell you, I think this is a very important and timely message for us. I was talking to a pastor friend this this past week, and we were talking about ministry and how things were going, and we were 
sharing, you know, some of the good things that were happening, some of the joys that, that uh, we could point to. And then we were also talking about, you know, some of the challenging things. And, of course, COVID became part of that, you know, um, conversation, how that's kind of still made some things challenging. And as we talked about it for a while, he, he finally said at the end, he said, but you know what? There's one really great thing that COVID has done. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm all ears. <laughs> tell, tell me, what is that? He says, it has been a great revealer. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean by that? He said, well, it has revealed to me that the person and gospel of Jesus Christ was not as central as I thought it was in our church. And so it's revealed to me that, that I've got work to do to make the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ central in our lives and in our church and part of our, central to our mission. I thought, wow. And I, and I also thought, wow, because in that moment I had to admit that I was guilty of doing that where I let other things become central, and, and that was the focus, rather than remembering, hey, <laughs> that's not what's most important. I realize, family, that there's always going to be different opinions, different convictions regarding, regarding various issues and policies, and I'm not saying that we just ignore everything and not work through things or address things, but all I know is that none of that is going to get us ready for his return. Only knowing Jesus will do that and inviting others to know him as well. That's where I want to spend my time, my energy, my focus. That's what I want to be central in my life, in my ministry, and in our church. For that is how we live ready to see our Savior again. Now, I think this parable gives us two important perspectives when it comes to knowing Jesus. The first, I think, is this, that knowing Jesus is an urgent and pressing matter. Even though the foolish bridesmaids have some oil, their inadequate supply reveals that they haven't been spending time getting to know the bridegroom. And it was too late for them to start doing that once he arrived. Now, I am not here to scare you into having a relationship with Jesus Christ because a relationship with Jesus is not based on fear. Perfect love casts out all fear, right? Not here to scare you into a relationship with Jesus, but let's be honest. Life is fragile. Life is unpredictable. We never know what could happen to us in the next moments. And so knowing Jesus is an urgent matter. Also, we don't know the day or the hour he will come back. In this story, the bridegroom is delayed, but it still catches the foolish bridesmaids off guard because they hadn't spent time knowing him. They hadn't thought that was a pressing priority before. But most importantly... Knowing Jesus is an urgent matter because when you know Jesus, you have life and you have it more abundantly. When you know Jesus, you have new mercies every morning. When you know Jesus, you have a comforter who will never leave you or forsake you. When you know Jesus, you have the secret of being content in any and every situation. When you know Jesus, you have peace that passes all understanding. 
There isn't anything more urgent than knowing Jesus because there isn't anything that will make a greater difference in your life today and every day after other than that. Knowing Jesus is an urgent matter. Then I think there's an additional perspective given here in the text about knowing Jesus. It's also an unhurried matter. Even though it is an urgent one. It is pressing, yes, but it's also a process. It's an exigent reality, but it's also an enduring reality. I say that because the parable highlights how long the delay of the groom is. In fact, that's kind of the main thing of the story. In fact, it is so long that all ten of the bridesmaids fall asleep. Both wise and foolish. This is to illustrate just how long the delay was. You know, such a delay was not uncommon during wedding ceremonies back then. The most essential aspect of the wedding celebration was escorting and introducing the bride into the groom's house. The escorting was done by the groom and several close friends. What they would do is they'd make their way to the bride's house, and when she was ready, everything was in order, he would place her on the back of a riding animal, and and the groom, along with her and the friends, would joyfully parade through the streets down to the groom's house. Once they reach the house, the marriage contract is read, and they celebrate for seven days after that. So a crowd of family and friends would gather at or around the groom's house waiting for that moment when the groom and his bride came to get the party started. That's what the bridegroom is doing here in our story. And these 10 unmarried women are guests at the wedding and they are waiting with the rest of the family and friends for the groom to bring his bride into his home. And it was also common for this to not happen on time for it to be delayed. Sometimes the groom and his friends would take a while getting to the bride's house. Sometimes once he got to the bride's house, there was still some last-minute bargaining in the culture of that day of what the bride price would be. If that wasn't all worked out before, sometimes that could take some time. And then sometimes they would take their time after that to celebratorily go through the streets to travel on the way to his home. Whatever the reason is, the bridegroom takes a long time to get to his house. And what distinguishes the wise bridesmaids from the foolish ones is how they handle that delay. And the wise ones choose to handle it by making an investment in knowing the bridegroom for the long haul. Watch him. Living ready means knowing Jesus personally in an urgent way, yes, but also in an enduring way. Where we have this ongoing walk with him, where we seek for ways to know him more deeply and intimately. How are you making an investment in your relationship with Christ right now to have it be an enduring, ongoing, deep experience? Something that helped me to start to do that this week as I was reflecting on this passage was to change my mindset a little bit when it came to my regular devotion time and and prayer time. I approached those moments with uh, this mindset this week. Lord, how can this time that we have together in your word and in prayer be spent in such a way that will further and deepen our connection? Be spent in, in such a way that will 
grow my understanding of you, grow my ability to serve you. And it's amazing how that mindset influenced and enriched my time that I usually spend with the Lord this week in his word and in prayer. Being watchful, living ready means knowing personally Jesus in both an urgent and enduring way. One commentator I was reading from this week shared the following story. He said, a friend of mine whom I'll call James told me about his love story from back in the early days of his life. It was only a matter of days after his wedding uh, to his high school sweetheart that James shipped out for military action in Vietnam. I missed my wife, James told me, more than I can ever tell you. We longed for the day when reunion would occur. And there were two or three false alarms where we thought that I was going to get to come home. I was told I was going to be able to come home, and I would write her, telling her, I'm coming back. But then it wouldn't happen. I wasn't allowed to go. And the disappointment from those times just were too deep, too keen. It was, it was so hurtful to not be able to actually go back when we thought we could be together. So what we finally decided to do was accept the fact that we did not know when we would get to be together, when I would return home. So we changed our mindset and decided to focus on furthering and deepening our relationship to each other while we were apart. We carried photographs constantly wherever we went of each other, reminding of, us of exactly to whom our hearts belonged to. We wrote each other letters almost on a daily basis, and we shared our hearts and bared our souls through those letters. We got to know each other more deeply than we had even known before I left. And then the news came again. I was going to get to go home, they told me. Not able to face the, process, the prospect of another disappointment, I did not tell her this time that I might be coming home. But this time it was for real. The time came and I was able to go. I will never forget, this is the author now saying, James's face as he described that day to me. His eyes sparkled. His face gleamed. His eyes bore right through me as though gazing back into the front room of an old home in the south. A young serviceman, quietly, almost like a thief, walks into the front door. The young wife sees him. She cries out and rushes to him. James said she could hardly speak for two days. All she did was hold on to me and I to her. I don't think James and his wife could have prepared for his return in any better way than spending time getting to know each other more deeply. Likewise, I don't think there's any better way for us to be ready to meet our Lord and Savior than to spend our days knowing Here we are, Lord, ready to answer your call to serve you. And Lord, um, we are here ready to do whatever you ask for us, to prepare to be ready for your return. And Lord, today you reminded us that really what that's about is just spending time knowing you and inviting others 
to do the same. May you give us courage to go out and invite others to know you for themselves. We thank you that you're a God that makes yourself available for a personal relationship with us. We look forward to journeying with you in eternity. But it's so awesome we get to start that journey with you now. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.